0: Frank Ling
1: and I'm Charles Lee
0: and you're listening to the Grok Science Show.
1: That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program Dr. Roland Case will join us to discuss camera traps.
0: So stay tuned for all of this,
1: plus the Grokatron 5000,
0: and our world famous question of the week,
1: coming right up here on the Grok's Science Show. Welcome back to the Grok's Science Show. Well, camera traps may not be uh, common for most people, but not only do camera traps provide stunning images of endangered species, they've also revolutionized the field of wildlife science and elevated our understanding of the animals in our own backyards. Well, joining us today to discuss the fascinating world of camera traps is Dr. Roland Kayes. Dr. Kays is the director of the Biodiversity Laboratory at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences and a research associate professor at the North Carolina State University. He's the co-author of Mammals of North America and has also penned their new book, Candid Creatures, How Camera Traps Reveal the Mysteries of Nature. And uh, Dr. Kays, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Rock Science Show. It's
0: awesome
1: to be here. Thanks. It's our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book. You've read mostly pictures, uh, very fascinating pictures, called Candid Creatures, uh, How Camera Traps Reveal the Mysteries of Nature. I'm wondering if uh, maybe you can explain a little bit about what are camera traps.
0: Yeah, well, the, the basic idea for camera traps is really simple. It's a motion trigger and a camera. And so anytime an animal walks by, So, yeah, you you put one of these in the woods somewhere, some natural area, and any time a warm-blooded creature walks by, it takes a picture. And um, this sort of very simple premise allows us to observe what animals do when we're not around. Because animals usually generally don't like people. They run away. You know, it's very hard to see a bobcat or something like that. But when you put these cameras out there, they're silent, they don't bother the animals, and they can get this sort of uh, secret world that we don't see.
1: And is it sort of a tricky placing these things? Do you you sort of have to know the right place to position them uh, so they can? No, not,
0: not at all. Um, Actually, it it kind of depends. There's two ways to set a camera trap, really. There's the. gee, let's have fun and try to get cool pictures way to do it, in which case you might try to find the most interesting place or look for a really good view in the background or, you know, see a hole and kind of wonder, you know, what's using that hole or put it at a, you know, maybe at a carcass and see what predator comes back or something like that. Um, But often from a scientific point of view, when I set cameras as a scientist, we try to use, Standardized designs, so that we, what we compare can be, you know, what we get can be compared across sites. So we'll use some sort of randomized design in our setting of cameras. So we'll just walk out of the woods and pick a random spot and put them out there. And it was interesting when we started doing this, people said we would never get anything, and it turns out we we get quite a lot. And sometimes we get things that you wouldn't get if you, uh, you know, set them at uh, specific, uh, like on trails or something like that.
1: It's always uh, good to be sort of random in a way about uh, where you put them, huh?
0: Yeah, well, that's kind of basic ecological sampling is, uh, you know, some kind of random ra- randomized design to, we would just want to know what's going on out there in the world. We want to get an accurate representation of, you know, what's going on with the animals in this area so that we can compare them, say, with another area.
1: So how has uh, the use of the camera traps then sort of expanded our view of what animals really are doing in, in the wild?
0: Well, it, it has a lot, and camera traps actually go back, over a hundred years um, they're definitely a lot more popular now but you know some of the first actually the very first wildlife pictures to show up in National Geographic magazine came from a, a, a camera trap and if you think about in those days a hundred years ago you didn't have big lenses you didn't have nice flashes so um, and you, you couldn't sit there and get close to an animal if you were with the camera but people rigged up these things on giant tripods and they would have big um, instead of electric flashes, they would have cakes of magnesium powder that would explode and sound like a cannon, but would light up the scene and get these amazing pictures of these animals. Um, uh, You know, really was the only way to get a close-up of animals back then. And these cameras remained, camera traps remained this sort of oddity of you'd set one here and one there for a long time. Um, And really, when digital cameras finally became um, common enough, cheap enough, and especially robust enough to hold up like out there in the woods, that's when we really started running cameras instead of one or two or three, by the dozens or hundreds to really get good sample size and really be able to ask important scientific questions.
1: The images that are in this book are, are really stunning. I mean, are the, the animals you think in any way influenced by the camera or flash, for example, going off?
0: Well, so a lot of times the animals notice the camera. A lot of times they don't, actually. Mostly they don't. Sometimes they do. Um, and sometimes they're curious and they'll come up and sniff, or usually they just ignore the camera. So we like to think of cameras as as non-invasive. You know, you're not, especially if you're not using bait, you're just catching them as they walk by, and for the most part they don't care. Most camera traps these days um, don't have a white flash, so we're not blinding the animals. We'll use an infrared flash at night, so the pictures are black and white. Um, and the animals, you know, they might kind of notice that there's a funny piece of plastic on the tree, but generally they're not too concerned. Uh, There are, now the thing is, you know, what I did in the book was I worked with over 150 camera trappers around the world to get the very best pictures that they've gotten. And those tend to be the pictures where the animal's looking right at the camera, right? So, you know, we don't get that many of those, but um, those are the most interesting ones. So there is an over-representation of those pictures in the book. There's even one one right on the cover with an animal staring right at the camera, just because those are more compelling pictures. But for every picture you get like that, you get 100 of their butt running, you know, just kind of walking by
1: so at least a little more striking examples that are in the book than uh, you might get in wildlife photography in general.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, on average, I, I, I sort of figure just about every time you check your camera trap, you probably have one really good picture, or one, one pretty good picture. And if you run enough cameras, you end up getting millions and millions of pictures, and, and just by, by sheer, you know, bulk of sample size, you end up getting pretty awesome was and so that's what I tried to do was basically raid the greatest hits folders of camera trappers all around the world to pull together the most stunning interesting and informative pictures and put them all in one collection
1: uh, so is there a favorite among uh, the greatest hits uh, for you
0: oh god no I can't possibly pick a <laughs> favorite um they're all, it, it was, you know, one of the hard parts. So it was really fun to get all these, like you know, get an email with a whole bunch of pictures from someone in Brazil or someone in Malaysia, and to go through those pictures was really fun to see what they'd gotten. And, and part of it was also finding some that would tell the story of the research. So it was more than just the pictures, but also reading the papers that they wrote, the discoveries that they made, the conservation efforts, you know, underway to help save these animals, and how, and trying to find pictures that sort of help tell that story um, uh, that they learned from the science and the conservation that are motivating a lot of the camera driving. Uh,
1: so what what do you think uh, this is really telling us then about uh, the science and and the conservation efforts uh, for some of these uh, these uh, creatures?
0: Well, a lot of the research questions are focused on, you know how can we um, basically share the planet with these animals? So many of these um, uh, so many of, of these wildlife species are endangered around the world, um, you know generally due to some, Something that, that humans are doing, whether it's, you know, building roads or spreading invasive species or chopping down habitats. And so trying to find ways that humans and animals can coexist together and how to reduce um, uh, the, our effect on animals is really motivating, um, is really the main motivation behind, you know, quite a lot of research out there. Uh, you know, wh- one of the most simple examples is looking at how to help, uh, how animals will use underpasses to go underneath roads, and um, what type of design species are most likely to use, and in which cases we need to build actually overpasses, or in some cases even uh, for species that only climb trees, they've actually built these rope ladders, uh, basically these rope bridges across roads, and the animals will actually climb over the top of the road on these la- on these rope. For the bridges instead of going down to the ground and getting hit by a car, so that's really
1: cool. Is there anything that surprised people from from these type of camera traps in terms of uh, animal behavior and in terms of how they interact with humans in in the wild and and sort of the intersection between uh, humans and and animals?
0: Well, I think one one of the things that a lot of camera trappers, you know, whether it's a hobbyist or a scientist, you know, one of the first things you notice is there are a lot of animals out there that we never see. When I go for a hike down the trail, you know, I don't see very many mammals. But when you put a camera trap out, and same thing in your backyard. I don't see the gray fox in my backyard. But if I put a camera trap out there, I get him on camera every couple days. He's coming through my backyard, and I had no idea. I was working on a project in, uh, in 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 Kenya, hiking up and down the Mount Kenya on the trails every day. Never saw a leopard. But when we went through our camera trap pictures, they were hiking exactly the same trails all the time. So it's really striking you know, really, how good most of these animals are at avoiding them. Uh,
1: so, so tell me about, uh, I guess, the community of, uh, of camera trappers. You said it's not just those who are professional biologists, ecologists, uh, but also hobbyists. Is there um, a community involved? A community, sort of group that gets together to share these types of photos through yeah, the internet?
0: There's really two kinds. You know, other than the scientists, um, the 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 largest actually group of camera trappers are hunters that are using cameras. You know, usually to try to find out where are the deer, where are the big bucks, where are the animals that they're trying to hunt, at, at what time of day, to try to pattern these animals and um, help focus uh, their hunting results. And they really, you know, in addition to hunting, they, they, they love the, love wildlife as well, so they get a kick out of seeing those pictures. And um, So so they're definitely the biggest user of camera traps, and uh, that's what a lot of the camera trap industry, the, the companies that make camera traps, are focused around uh, that user group. Um, but there's a growing, a growing community of, of non-hunters as well um, who are, you know, just curious about animals. And um, like I said, you know, walking around the woods, they hardly ever get to see any mammals. But you can have a really intimate experience checking the camera trap. You know, it's almost like Christmas. Looking at the memory card and seeing what you got, what's been walking in that area, you know, whether it's your backyard or your favorite state park or something like that. Um, it's a pretty cool thing to do.
1: Is there any effort to sort of tap into that uh, as part of some sort of uh, citizen science, uh, collecting all sorts of uh, images from all over the place to to sample more broadly?
0: Yeah, actually, um, uh, I lead a project called eMammal that's in collaboration with uh, Bill McShay at the Smithsonian. And uh, we have been working with citizen scientists to sample um, all sorts of areas in the sort of North Carolina, Virginia area. And we'll be starting a new statewide project in North Carolina this year. So really... um, Camera traps and citizen scientists work great together because the volunteers get a kick out of looking at the pictures. The data they collect in the form of these images are really good, hard scientific data that we can verify, right? So if you tell me you saw a coyote, how do I know for sure that it wasn't really a fox or a dog? I can never really be totally sure because, um, you know, everyone's got different observational abilities, and sometimes when you see an animal really quick, it's hard to know what it is anyway. But when I get a picture, I can verify it and I can say, yes, that's a coyote, or I can say, okay, well, you know, we'll call that an unknown animal, we're not sure. And so having the volunteers run the cameras, get out into nature, get all the cool pictures that they can share with their friends and family, and then also getting us the data that we can use to ask research questions is a really great match.
1: So Z-Mammal uh, come up with any exciting findings?
0: Uh, yeah, we had um, some exciting work out uh, earlier last year relating cats and coyotes. and. Um, We surveyed, well, I say we, our our citizen science volunteers ran cameras in 32 parks from um, South Carolina to Maryland and uh, sampled the animals in the parks with the cameras to see what was living there. And we found, surprisingly, hardly any cats, hardly any feral cats out in these parks. Um, And my favorite example is Rock Creek Park, which is in Washington, D.C., and must have tens of thousands of cats within walking distance of the park. And we got only one photograph of a cat in that park, but we had 125 coyote pictures in there. So it looks like um, the coyotes are the predators that are keeping the feral cats from sort of running amok in our uh, in our nature species.
1: You know, set some of those up around my neighborhood, <laughs> Are
0: they disappearing? Have you seen the coyotes?
1: Uh, there have been reported sightings, so it might it might be uh, might be the case. Yeah,
0: I mean, a lot of these animals, especially the predators or the nocturnal animals, um, you know, they they don't come out until you're in bed, and they they sort of you know then they have the whole neighborhood to themselves. Right?
1: So if, you th- if people are more interested in uh, getting involved or learning more about uh, camera traps or, or even just exploring a little bit of these images, where where do you think people can start and, and go to?
0: Yeah, well, uh, they should look at my book because it's got, um, you know, a survey, over 600 pictures from uh, over 50 countries around the world, um, and so it shows you, you know, not only some awesome pictures, but also how scientists have used the data and the images to learn things, and there's Camera traps are for sale at a lot of hunting stores. There's a really good uh, review site uh, website called trailcampro.com that has good reviews of camera traps. And then uh, our our citizen science website is called eMammal, and uh, people can sign up and contribute their images that way. Or Especially if they live in North Carolina, we're going to be launching a a statewide survey later this year, so we're going to be looking to involve um, lots and lots of people in every single county across the state uh, later this year.
1: And finally, you mentioned uh, it is uh, something of an international endeavor. Does camera trapping vary across nations to compare uh, across the world?
0: Oh, um, that's a good question. Certainly, uh, camera traps are being used in in just about uh, probably every country around the world. Um, and uh, certainly, the U.S. has a lot of scientists who use them, but they're, they're such a straightforward method right there you know you need to buy a camera so you need to invest in the technology but once you have it you can use it over and over um, and uh, and learn a lot about animal communities so uh, certainly you know tropical forests have some amazing diversity of animals and uh, there's been a lot of cameras run in tropical forests um, uh, as well as in you know temperate areas like North America and Europe so uh, they're a global phenomenon, and I'd be, I'd be hard-pressed to, uh, to pick the global leader um, because uh, there's, so there's so many interesting discoveries all over the place.
1: The book has uh, global photographs and uh, definitely uh, a lot to look at across the world in terms of uh, the types of animals there.
0: Yeah, even underwater. There's, um, some uh, marine biologists have, have taken to using cameras to survey fish underwater um, for the same reason, that there's species of fish that you won't see when you're snorkeling because they, they hide from us. Um, and the other sort of new frontier for camera trapping, I think, is up in the tropical forest canopies, or any forest canopy, really. And we just started to scratch the surface with that, um, with some surprising findings. Uh, this is one of my favorite studies, um, where they ran camera traps up in the canopy of the rainforest in Peru. And, you know, most people, when they think of tropical canopies, they think of monkeys and toucans and parrots and these sort of big diurnal birds and, and, and primates. But actually they got nine times more pictures of the animals during the night than they did during the day. So there's this whole world of nocturnal animals with kinkajous and night monkeys and possums and sloths and porcupines that are up there in the rainforest, that are actually nine times more active than the critters out there in the daytime. And why that is, we, we really don't
1: Incredible. Uh, so pretty much anywhere a camera uh, can survive, uh, you can probably much, pretty much see any that passes by it, huh? Well,
0: there's definitely yeah, there's definitely more to be discovered out there. Whether it's you know remote rainforest canopies or even you know what's going on in the backyard of, of cities and villages and suburbanites and rural people and you know how animal vary in these different areas is. It's unknown, and I can't wait
1: to find out. Well, uh, the new book is called Candid Creatures, How Camera Traps Reveal the Mysteries of Nature. And uh, it's uh, the biologist uh, Roland Kays, is the author. And uh, Dr. Kays, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Well, thanks for
0: having me.